Welcome to the JIMD podcast. I'm your host, James Nurse. The Journal of Inherited Metabolic Disease publishes original research and new or important observations from the world of IMD. And the podcast is an opportunity for authors to discuss their work and maybe put back some of the words that were lost in the edit. We've over 35 episodes for your listening pleasure, so be sure to check it out, but not before listening to this latest episode on 100 Years of IMD in Austria. Well, thank you for joining me. One of the curious things about working in IMD is how different countries can have different experiences of these very unusual conditions. In part, that may arise from varied approaches to screening or healthcare prioritisation, but also due to founder effects that can lead to huge variations in prevalence in different countries around the world. So with that in mind, our focus today falls on Austria, facilitated by a rather fabulous national registry that allows them to look at a century's worth of IMD data. And to discuss their recent paper, I'm delighted to welcome Dr. Gabrielle Ramosa, Dr. Federica Caffera, Dr. Daniela Caral, and Dr. Sabine Scholl-Bergi. Gabrielle, Federica, Daniela and Sabine, thank you for joining me. Thank you for the invitation. Yes. Now, this work was possible because of the establishment of the Austrian Registry for Inherited Metabolic Disorders. I know that a lot of countries would like a registry just for even a single disease. How have you managed to create something so comprehensive? Well, we have to say that the registry grew over the year. It wasn't just our work, but the work of many people. We can say that Austria is a relatively small country and the, the registry was founded by the, the group of metabolic disorders who were very connected with each other, so doctors that know each other very well, and so the exchange was possible. And the registry was founded in 1985 by Susanne van Kircher, who developed the first collection of data. So we were very lucky that this grew over time. Basically, we started with the need of just knowing uh, which patients are where. Because sometimes you had the diagnosis of a patient with a rare condition. And one of the questions was always, is there somebody else that parents can talk to or that we as experts can talk to about the disorder? And then Susanne van Kirche just started within the Austrian Metabolic Group to collect these patients. And she did it in a very uh, gentle but steady way and asked us every two, three, four months, if there was any new patients that we had diagnosed or remembered from our former work. And then the question arose over the years, how to deal with data and who the data would belong to and how you would secure that data remained safe. And that meant that for about 10 years, there was no data collection anymore. And uh, about 10 years ago or so, we just thought that it was very sad that this fundus of information just had gotten lost or hadn't got any further development. And then uh, through an uh, ethics committee, we, we just made a formal study where we said that we would like to collect these patients just to know the epidemiology of inherited metabolic disorders in Austria. And then Gabriela and Federica started doing what Susanne Kircher had done, that she just contacted the people within the Austrian Metabolic Group to ask them to fill in the last 10 years and whatever they remember. And what they did on top was that they contacted also centers outside of the Austrian Metabolic Group, meaning all the intern and neurological departments. 
because, um, of course, over the last decades, we have learned that half of the inherited metabolic disorders do not manifest in childhood, but in adult age. And I mean, you talked there about contacting the other centres. I saw within your report that only 66 out of 160 centres responded. Do you think that had a big bearing on your numbers or is there a lot of centralisation of services anyway? The centres that responded were the biggest centres, so the major paediatric centres that treat uh, inherited metabolic disorders responded, so we don't think that it had a big impact on numbers. And inherited metabolic disorders are uh, treated in big centres generally because they're mostly not treated in the periphery in small practitioners. (laughs) Of course, the prevalence will always be a minimal prevalence. Yeah, probably there are patients that were diagnosed sometime, somewhere, and never got connection to any of the experts that would enter them into a data set. But that's, I think, okay. reality of life. Yeah. <laughs> that is that is life, unfortunately. We heard a little bit about, I think it was the American PKU registry at the ICIM meeting. Why do you think these patient registries are so important? Because they open the possibility for treaters to connect and to know where, where other patients can be, to exchange possibilities about, for example, clinical trials or therapy options. When, when you care about data safety and if the patients are okay with it, you can connect patients too with each other to help cooperate with the disease. And what we also think is that it's important that these uh, patient registries are industry independent Mm -hmm. because we have big registries from uh, pharmaceutical companies and of course their their focus is is different and it usually excludes all the groups of patients where there is no pharmacological treatment and uh, within the uh, national action plans for rare disorders where the inherited metabolic disorders belong to I think it is important to just know what the epidemiology of these disorders is in your region. I mean, certainly you've been screening for inherited metabolic disease since the 1960s in Austria. I think that you now look at 25 different disorders. How has that developed over time? Yes, the Austrian newborn screening program was introduced in 1966 and we started with um, phenylketonuria and it grew over the years and uh, always came more and more diseases which were screened for and um, of course it's possible to evaluate single diseases with our registry and maybe we will do that in the, the next years and if someone has a special question we can do this evaluation because the registry is very big and we have lots of single diseases um, but we don't have any concrete plans now. And what are your 25 conditions or are there any unusual ones in there? That are the usual ones everybody in Europe uh, or nearly everybody in Europe screens for. So it's amino acetopathies, it's uh, PKU and MSUD, inborn uh, disorders of carbohydrate metabolism, galactosemia um, and so there is um, fatty acid metabolism disorders. So it's the same uh, as in nearly every European um, state. And and one disease that uh, we screen for is biotinidase deficiency, uh, which is relatively common in Austria. We don't know why, 
but because the treatment is very easy and simple, it has remained in the screening program. I think it's interesting that you brought up biotinidase deficiency. I, I suppose it'd be quite nice to talk a little bit more about some of the, the data and the highlights that really came out of it. I mean, I thought one of the things that struck me was that the the general prevalence seemed a bit lower than one might expect, but obviously you suggested that you're not catching anyone, everyone even. Was there anything that, that stuck out to you? Yes, um, we evaluated the minimal prevalence and there is a part of our patients lost to follow up and we are sure that if we knew the information about those patients, the prevalence was even higher. I think, I mean, of course, the highest prevalence is PKU and hyperphenylalaninemia. And then the next second disorder was Fabry. And that is, I think, what was expected. And uh, biotinidase deficiency is the third most common. And then MCAT deficiency. And the next group is really the mitochondrial disorders. And we have a special interest in mitochondrial disorders. And maybe that's why you find more of them. I don't know. The uh, MITO Center in Salzburg is, uh, I think, worldwide renowned in the diagnosis and also a management of people with mitochondrial disorders. And that's why maybe the incidence is higher there. But that's uh, a lot of speculations, of course. Certainly, it's true that you only find what you look for. I noticed um, that your birth prevalence rose rapidly um, from the 1970s, which I presume is related to improved screening. But then it dropped in the last five years. Is yes. there any particular reason for that, do you think? The birth prevalence is defined as the number of persons per birth year who get the diagnosis of an IMD somewhere in, in their lives. And as we evaluated in our study, 50% of all persons with IMDs get the diagnosis by newborn screening, but the other 50% are diagnosed later in their life. And so maybe the explanation for this drop of the birth prevalence is that those patients who are not um, diagnosed now, they get the diagnosis later when they are maybe 15 or, or 20 years old. And so in about 10 years, this curve will look a little different. That okay. will be included and, uh, in the next round then. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll wait for the update. Yeah. I mean, the majority of your patients uh, are adults. Something that we've talked about before in the podcast is the difficulty around adult IMD services. Has Austria solved it? Well, mo most of the patients are treated in pediatric centers. We evaluated this in the paper. So there's still uh, the need for implementation of, of other disciplines in the treatment of DMDs. And now we have not solved the problem. Oh, yeah, that's the answer. <laughs> we didn't solve it. <laughs> but, but we're on our way. <laughs> yeah. That's all right. Well, no, no one else has, I think. 86% <laughs> um, are treated in the uh, pediatric uh, departments. Mm -hmm. um, so this is quite a big portion. It's 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 difficult. Mm -hmm. So I was looking at your data, and the median age of the PKU patients is around nineteen, but the median age of an Austrian is forty three and a half. So does that mean you're losing lots of your adult PKU patients? Yes, um, we explained this difference because uh, until uh, some years ago, it was um, usually that PKU patients only were treated by strict diet um, until the school age. And then they often were lost to follow up and not um, implemented in those evaluations. And in Austria, we um, now 
tried to to close this gap and tried to to get these um, adult BKU patients to going on with their treatment, and so we could implement them into our study. Um, it's something that we've struggled with as well. Uh, I spoke to Mark Patterson recently, and he told me that all data is precious. You've got this wonderful resource. You mentioned sort of future plans. Have you got any sense of what you're going to do with it next? I mean, we would like to improve the coverage of that data. So the prevalence resembles more the the real prevalence because we think there are some that we haven't found yet. And then uh, the possibility is open for single questions to single diseases. Like um, we've already got a question about uh, Neiman Pick type B group of patients uh, from a patient self-help group. And the other uh, question we are dealing with is these loss to follow-up PKU patients, where are they? And can they be brought back into medical care? And um, so far, the registry is a minimal data set. But out of this minimal data set, because you know where these patients are being treated, you can uh, possibly uh, reach them for clinical or other epidemiological or even outcome studies. Well, it's it's an absolutely fabulous resource. I hope that your example will inspire other countries to perhaps get their act together and keep better records. I'm sure that can only be a good thing. If you'd like to read the paper, then go to the journal website and search for 100 Years of IMD in Austria or click the link in the podcast description. And if you'd like to hear more from us, just type JMD Podcast into a search engine and be sure to hit subscribe. Um, Daniela, Federica, Sabine and Gabrielle, um, thank you all so much for your time. Thank you, James. Bye. (laughs) And thank you for listening. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.